0: Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane and it's Thursday, August the 17th. In this week's podcast, we're discussing black lung disease, coal workers' pneumoconiosis in Australia. This sounds like something that went away decades ago, but is it re-emerging in Australia or did it never go away? That's the first question I put in an interview I did with the author of The World Report, Chris McCall.
1: Well, this is a very good question because a lot of the so-called evidence is that it had gone is really being questioned now. The various Australian states which mine coal have legislation which determines the amount of coal dust which is allowed in the air in mines. For some reason... Largely in the 1980s, about sort of a decade after these kind of rules had come in, people began to think, oh, we've conquered this, so this isn't going to happen again, we won't see this again. Actually, looking at the details of people who have now been diagnosed with the disease, it's a bit questionable whether that was really really the case. There was a surveillance program in place involving chest X-rays every five years and various other tests. Some miners would have spirometry tests as well. But it appears that this surveillance program was not fully effective in some areas. There are questions about whether it was actually handled wrongly as well.
0: Are there certain conditions or types of coal mining that lend miners at greater risk to dust exposure? Is that to do with the type of seam of the coal they're mining?
1: Ultimately... Coal workers' pneumoconiosis is a disease that is related to the amount of, of exposure to coal dust. But it's one of a group of related diseases, all involving dust exposure. And in mining coal, you also have to drill through rock. There can be a degree of silica dust as well which can contribute to this disease or diseases like it. What has happened in the last few decades is that the coal mining industry, not only in Australia but all over the world, has become increasingly mechanised. The amounts of coal being mined are, are phenomenally larger than in the past. The way that they mine is in some places, for example, they've had to mine smaller seams than they did in the past, which involves drilling through more rock. They also have a system in some mines in Australia where they kind of use machines to kind of slice off the end of a seam of coal and work their way back along it. There are measures in place which are supposed to control coal dust the question is how effective they really are and certainly virtually all the miners I have spoken to or ex-miners still say there is still a lot of coal dust and you know you just can't avoid it completely in the town of Collinsville which is a major coal producing town in the Bowen basin in Queensland I met a guy called Gary soul who is an older ex-miner hasn't officially had a diagnosis of coal workers pneumoconiosis but he has every sign that he could well have it I'll let Gary Barry tell you himself about what life is like for him these days?
2: Morning, I cough, cough a lot,
0: get out of bed, cough, cough, cough. You know, I have a lot of trouble breathing early mornings and that.
1: Are you I mean, concerned you might have black
0: lung disease? Well, I don't know. I haven't been for an x-ray. But the amount of coughing I do and the, and the doctor said to me up here, oh, you know, I don't know what it is. The old doctor up here said that... Uh, he said, just just take your cough lollies and you made a cough mixture and that, you know, that, well, that's what I was doing. And in your article, you state that there are currently 23 cases of co-workers pneumoconiosis, but that could be the tip of the iceberg, there could be many more than that. Before we sort of discuss that, what factors do you think are at play? Because it very much suggests putting it mildly, an embarrassment to to Australia and to Queensland and the mining companies. But at worst, it really suggests a cover-up, really. And there could be factors relating to the behaviour of the coal mining companies, negligence of the medical profession, and also psychological factors to do with the workers themselves, who probably don't want to identify, because that could threaten their work.
1: The 23 cases that have been identified It needs to be understood that there's actually a very slow process in actually achieving a diagnosis. In addition to those 23 cases, there are dozens and dozens more that are still being processed. It seems almost certain that that number will increase. It could increase quite dramatically. One of the union officials who I've been talking to who has been Looking particularly at this problem certainly says there would be at least 2,000 cases in in Queensland State. I mean, that's, that's just a guess, but it does show the scale of the problem. There seems to have been a degree of complacency in the sense that people just for some reason assumed that this disease had gone away. It's quite hard to detect. Australian radiologists are very highly trained. They're very highly regarded around the world, but it appears that the qualifications needed to actually detect this disease had actually been lost in Australia. It requires a special type of training to be something called a B-reader. And you don't specifically have to be a radiologist to do this, although it is typically something that a radiologist would be trained to do. You have to be trained in working through specific sample images which are produced by the International Labour Organization, which has set the standard for this disease, the standard by which it should be diagnosed and it needs to be read by a second person to actually diagnose the first case of this disease that was found in Australia in the last few years actually required a lung biopsy the x-rays at the moment are actually being sent to the United States to be interpreted because in the United States this particular piece of knowledge has not actually been lost and efforts are underway now to train people in Australia so that they do now have this qualification to be a B reader to call it an embarrassment is probably a bit of an understatement actually it's turned into a major political issue there's been a huge inquiry into it in uh, Queensland state by the state government. Coal is never far from the headlines in Australia. It's a very controversial industry. Not only because of this disease, but also because of its environmental effects. A lot of the the coal is mined in Queensland and leaves the country from ports which are very close to the Great Barrier Reef, and there's a a lot of discussion about the potential damage to the Great Barrier Reef from this industry. It's also seen as contributing to greenhouse gas emissions, which sometimes don't appear in Australia's own reckonings of its greenhouse gas emissions because the coal is
0: exported. A lot of it.
1: Whether there's been a cover-up? Well, what I could is that a lot of the miners feel that that there may have been
0: fascinating detail and of course returning to the specific issue of the role of the medical profession you spoke to a respiratory expert didn't you
1: I spoke to Debrie Yates who's a respiratory physician based in Australia who has made a lifelong study of this disease she certainly feels that there has been a degree of complacency and she can explain to you herself a little bit about the medical aspects of this disease.
2: There are a number of different lung effects of cold dust inhalation. And the one that's best described and best known is cold keliosis, where you get fibrosis of the lungs and you get little nodules, usually in the mid upper zones of the lungs. These occur with cold dust exposure, usually over quite a few years, probably at least 10, more commonly 20 or 30 years of cold dust inhalation. This produces fibrosis of the lungs and it produces in its later stages a condition called progressive massive fibrosis where the nodules all coalesce together and you get these large masses. These cause significant breathlessness and cough and sputum and uh, eventually it can cause right heart failure and further pulmonary fibrosis and death. In addition to that, you get airway effects so that in the absence of, of lung fibrosis, you can have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and emphysema, that would involve chronic bronchitis where you get a thickening of the airways leading down into the lungs with chronic production of sputum and frequent chest infections. And then you get emphysema, which is dilatation and destruction of the alveoli, the air sacs in the lungs. Both of those, chronic bronchitis and emphysema, both come under the umbrella term COPD. So you can get COPD in the absence of smoking just due to bust inhalation and in the absence of pulmonary fibrosis as seen on the chest X-ray or CT scan. In addition to that, you can get pulmonary fibrosis, which is a different type of disease on the lower part of the lung, which looks like another disease which we see in, in clinical practice. So cold-dust inhalation can actually give you a spectrum of different lung diseases. It's not just the traditional co-workers' pneumoconiosis.
1: Why do you think this disease has come back in Australia in the last couple of years? And did it ever really go away?
2: I don't think it ever really went away. I think we just didn't pick it up. And I think the reason for it being described again is primarily due to the care with which some of the occupational physicians actually reviewed the x rays In fact, what happened was that uh, there had been some patients who'd actually had some shadows on the lungs some fibrosis in their upper zones, and they'd been reported as having a disease called sarcoidosis. These films were reviewed by one of the occupational physicians He said, hmm, it's a bit of a coincidence having fibromyalgia in people who'd worked with coal underground. And he sent the x-rays off for review by one of the other respiratory physicians who then looked at them and said, hmm. And eventually they went off and had a, a biopsy, and the biopsy did show coal workers' with And that was really the start of the re-examination of the surveillance scheme.
0: So Chris, in terms of legal action that's been taken, you've mentioned, we've discussed 23 cases, but potentially many more than that, what's happening in terms of legislation or making a case for for miners who have been potentially affected?
1: There are some individual miners who are taking legal action as individuals. There is one legal firm which has specifically asked people who think they may be affected by coal workers pneumoconiosis to contact them for potential representation. It's actually quite difficult for many miners to sue. This disease typically appears when the miner is retired, many, many years after they began mining. By that time, they may have worked for several different employers. Some of those employers may no longer be in business, so there isn't necessarily somebody there to sue. The other issue, which is a very big issue, is that a lot of them are also smokers. If somebody has been a coal miner and been a smoker, it's a bit hard to differentiate the damage from the mining and the damage from the smoking. I have to say, in addition, though, that some of the cases that have been diagnosed were in non-smokers. There is talk of some kind of a compensation scheme to be set up. One of the unions has proposed a levy on every tonne of coal produced. Whether the industry will accept that or not, I, I cannot say. The industry itself is made up of numerous different companies, all with their own interests. However, they do have a representative body, the Queensland Resources Council, which... Is headed by a former uh, federal minister Ian McFarlane who I understand has actually taken quite a strong stance on this and has made it clear that he feels that the industry as a whole has to do something to recognize the health effects of of its operations on its on its employees.
0: It's fascinating story, Chris. It's great that you've drawn our attention to it, your article, your world report in the August 19th issue of The Lancet. I'm sure we'll come back to this topic again. Chris McCall, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet.
1: Thank you too, Richard.